This is an after-school program podcast. Welcome to the Home Studio Hangout Podcast, where we explore what it's like building, running, and working out of a home studio with your hosts, Joshua Matatuck, Andrew Simmons, and many guests in different areas of the music industry. Hey there, and welcome to episode three of the Home Studio Hangout podcast. Me and Josh are both stoked that you're here today. We have a great conversation about defining the roles between a songwriter, a producer, and a mix engineer. We're really stoked to talk about these and help you define for yourself and also for the client's sake what those roles are, how you fit within those, whether you do one of them or all three Being able to define what you do is always great for clarifying your role in each project. So, without further ado, let's get right into the episode. Welcome back to podcast episode three. I am Andrew. Drew, welcome back. We're happy to have you. This is my co-host, Joshua. I'm Josh. Or Josh. (laughs) Or Joshua. If you've listened to the past two episodes, congratulations. (laughs) You've listened to us talk for way more than we expected you to, and we thank you for that. (laughs) Which is why today is not going to be nearly as long we or hope. so we say at this moment. Yeah, at this at time of at time of podcast recording. At the time of podcast, just like last time. Yep. And we still have to do the other half to last time's episode. Exactly. And we decided we're not going to do it tonight. No. Nope, because we cause... can't bore you that bad two episodes in a row. We're going to have some fun today. We're going to be talking about producing and mixing and what exactly is the difference between those. So it's a little more of a, shall we say, cerebral kind of thought thought process episode um we do have some like more factual things to kind of go through with producing but like it's going to be talking about kind of the differences that we see and kind of the job define the things that you know define the jobs of producers and mixers and where producers and mixers kind of bleed into other aspects of the music industry also so let's go right in let's get right in Hmm. So, what is a producer and what is a mixer, Josh? So, a producer is someone who produces <laughs> and a mixer. <laughs> no. So, uh producing and mixing are both very common things as one would say, mm-hmm. but producing and mixing are vastly different. Andrew and I both produce andrew and i do not mix a whole lot we do some mixing work but it's not like our bread and butter no and so producing is going to be most of the creative choices um that have to do with the composition the recording um you know even post-production like sound design uh while mixing is simply making everything sound good and sound good regardless of where you listen to it 
So uh, we're going to dive more in depth because that's super broad. Yeah. But that's a good, at that's... the end of the day, producing is more creative. Mixing is more calculated. Mm, that's a good way to say it. Yeah. That's, I think those are good. Those are good 30,000 foot views of both of those things. Um, hmm. Yeah. So let's go through. So, um, talking about some of the specifics of producing. So let's take it back. Let's take it back, way back to the time of, to the time of Motown, right? To the time of, you know, what is it like? The Beatles. The Beatles. Yeah. All, all this, like, <laughs> I guess, all of the, I mean, yeah, this, it happened well, the it, same with yeah, them. Yeah. Cause I mean, it was huge. Like, a lot of people will talk about how, and this is going to be awful, I don't know the big producer for the Beatles, but like whenever they released all those crazy songs like Tomorrow Never Knows and stuff like that, everyone was always like, oh, it was the producer, it wasn't the band. Yeah. So so that's, the, I, in my opinion, that's a good example. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah. So going back, there are, a, sometimes a producer can really like, really make make the artists what they are. Um, so we're going back to like the Motown era. There was a time in the Motown era where you had these guys that would put together these teams of guitar players, drummers, entire bands, and then mixing engineers, your mastering engineers, uh, maybe some songwriters, some top liners, whatever it looked like kind of in that day. And then also your recording engineers, because that was a separate thing. Um, that the producer back then had nothing to do with really the actual process of recording. Um, a producer in this, in this sense is very much like a project manager is a very good way to think about it. Like in more modern terms, but back then as a producer, they would find these, these young artists and, you know, nobodies like, off the side of the street or in some church, they would go hear them sing, and uh, they would they would be like, "Oh man, that person has a super unique voice, or that person's got like star power." But we just need to refine them. So they grab them, they sign them some really terrible contract, and <laughs> for a lot of money, and um, they they go in and they start recording and writing all their songs and everything, and they make them stars. But they don't touch really the the actual recording process, which is like kind of different from all of the other producer roles we're going to be talking about. So that, in my mind, that's like the earliest the producer in the earliest in the earlier senses is very much like a, an executive producer role. So an executive producer. And, and even in today's terms, hand, handles a lot of the budgets, a lot of the timeline, a lot of the scheduling with the studio, with the session musicians, with, where the um, where the stems need to go, it, um, getting printed, whether they need to go, vocals need to go to the, the guy that's going to be tuning them, the drums need to go to the guy that's going to be editing them, when they need to be back to the mix engineer, stuff like that. Uh, and keeping it to the timeline because generally the executive producer is the person that reports to the label 
Um, they're that liaison between the label and the artist and the team. So they're kind of building the uh, the team, um, but from a monetary standpoint. And then the other side, which is more of the uh, more of the modern side of things is the session producer which is what we kind of know as like a producer so part of part of that stays the same the team building aspect definitely stays the same so i know for me um producing projects from a like team building side of things i always know have in mind um who am i going to have master this if i'm not mixing it who is if i'm not tuning the vocals who is um if the budget calls for the ability to be able to, you know, outsource a bunch of different things, like I start calling people up, making sure that like they're available, prices are done. I know I'm building that team together to make the project be the best that it can be. Um, and then we go to the creative instrumental choices. So also their obsession producer is really that guy. I don't know if you've ever like watched a lot of like, older like documentary footage the the session producer that guy that's sitting on the couch in the back just kind of like sitting there like bobbing his head to the music or just like like sitting here like this like just listening really 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 intently and then he'll go like oh stop we need to redo that take or oh stop we need to rewrite that part or just you know stuff like that um the but like all of the tones the parts a lot of the creative choices they have a big say in uh and this is something and the next one is something that i'm gonna let josh talk about this is very much they they kind of end up becoming a a vocal coach a little bit too uh with the with all of the vocalists but also with when it comes to part writing and stuff like that as well They sure do. So, um, yeah, you know, for as far as like vocal work goes, a lot of producers, um, you know, have to work with artists who don't necessarily um, have like the vision for what the record needs. Right. So at that point, you're going to have these producers who step in and they're going to um essentially put themselves in the artist's shoes and coach them through the process of how they need to track a vocal. Um, you know, for instance, if you had Katy Perry um, sing how she did on Teenage Dream and you put her on, uh, everybody knows Green Day. So, yeah. you know, you put her on something like Boulevard of Broken Dreams, right? Had her sing it just like Teenage Dream. You'd be like, man, dude, like this song sucks, you know? Is the vocalist still yeah. good? Yeah. Objectively, yeah. that vocalist is incredible, but it doesn't fit the song. And so that's whenever a producer might have to take on the role of a vocal producer. Or there are people who are specifically vocal producers, you know, mm -hmm. especially in pop anymore, because a lot of these people are getting tracks from a third party and, you know, they are then sent out for production and then by the time it's all done they're like all right time to track vocals let's have this vocal producer work with this artist because they're a good fit they've worked together in the past and then 
the vocal producer will sit there, make sure the artist is comfortable, talk to them about, you know, like what the song means to them, how they can relate to it even more, maybe if they didn't write it. And then literally just take it line by line and be like, well, you need to dig into this more with your diaphragm. You know, you need to sing this part like this. You need to sing that part like that. And it's really all about making sure that the vocal is convincing because nobody likes listening to a song and thinking, man, this is this sounds inauthentic, you know, for sure. Yeah, and so whether it's the same person who's doing the team building and the creative instrumental choices or whether it's just somebody who's literally just a vocal producer, you know, mm-hmm. having that skill is huge. Um, a huge one is going to be uh, Lewis Bell, you know, blew up with uh, Post Malone. I'm mm-hmm. sure he had bigger work before that too, but yeah. everybody, including me, knows him for Post Malone. But um at this point, I would say he's pretty much known for being a vocal producer and he get like, he also does work on the tracks. He works on the tracks a lot, but the fact that he is able to work with all of these different artists and specifically do vocal work and they all hit, hit number one really goes to show like how impactful a vocal producer is. Cause at the end of the day I could sing everything in the world, but if it's not convincing, it's not going to connect. Because mm-hmm. he he did that that Aussie feature on that Post Malone track, which got him that Aussie record, didn't? Like, wasn't he... I believe it was the Aussie record he ended up doing some of the vocal production on because of that. And, like... Yeah. He's, and he probably worked on some of those tracks, too. Just he, like, he worked with... Uh, he worked on Havana. He oh, worked yeah. with... He worked with Halsey on a few songs. He worked with he worked on Sucker by the Jonas Brothers. Oh heck yeah. That song is huge. Like that dude I remember like last year, we were like halfway through the year and he already spent like a year and a half on the charts because he had so many songs <laughs> yeah. charting in the That's top 10. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. And all, all he does is he'll literally sit down and plug a C at 100G into an, a UAD Apollo Twin. You know, the same thing that yeah. we have here minus the $10,000 microphone. And, yeah, exactly. You know, it really goes to show where, like, it's really not about the gear. It's about oh, yeah. the person, you know. And being able to work with somebody who really can get inside of somebody's head and relate and show them how to do things is huge. And that's something I have to do with my artists a lot, um, especially whenever I'm writing everything you know yeah it's and it's crazy because like you know i have to tell people how to sing things that i can't relate to you know i i never Mm -hmm. had a i never had a relative commit suicide um you know i never had i i've lived a pretty easy life you know so i have these artists who come to me and they want to write about these pretty heavy topics um and even though i'm writing all the lyrics and the lyrics are connecting with people i have to make sure their vocal performance does because it's hard singing someone else's words you know No, for sure. The um, I, I will say, like you said, that a big part of that is that can be an individual's job. And this is the other thing I want to I want to I want to take note of. Everything that we're talking about can also just be an individual's job. Yep. Um, the team building aspect, like I said before, like old school wise, that was literally just a one person job. They would build the team and 
by building the team, they got credits and they would they would build the team and that includes finding the artist. That would, they would build the team as far as the session and everything, bring in the artist, team built, they get paid and royalties forever. Creative yep. instrumental choices. Like there are guys that just get brought in to produce guitars or just get brought in to produce drums. Like I've hired people just to produce drums for stuff. Like that happens all the time. Um, yeah. I mean, we were just talking about uh, JJ Watt, right? Yeah. That's his name, right? I don't remember. And he, he, he like, he had a few decent cuts like within the past few years but then he started, or no, not JJ Watt. That's a JJ Watt's the football player. Dude, we're gonna have to cut this out. I don't watch football. I'm a hockey fan. Nah, no, nah, dude, we gotta cut this out. I can't he's have the, my friends are gonna listen to this. He's and, a Texan, bro. and they're gonna be like, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe that Josh is this bad." His name's Andrew Watt. I should and, remember that. Okay, so we were talking about Andrew Watt. Yeah, and so this guy is interesting because he had he didn't have a whole lot going on in his early like early years, I guess. And he had like a few like kind of B-side moments with like Justin Bieber and he did some pretty cool things, but then where it really started is whenever he started doing more like the live instrument stuff with Post Malone. And from there it was just like one after another after another. And within five years, this guy now has so many huge cuts. He worked on the majority of the Aussie record, which is insane, Yeah, which is absolutely insane. And what this guy primarily does is he works on guitar-based music in the pop world. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would be like, oh, pop music? No, that's impossible. But no, it's a thing. And, you know, it's like it, if if I have, you know, major label budget and I'm shooting for a number one and I need someone to write guitar, I already know I'm going to call up Andrew Watt, not to be confused yeah. with J.J. Watt, the <laughs> NFL player. Yeah. So, <laughs> Dude, I'm so mad that I did that. Uh, I probably, you know, I I was probably thinking of like Jay Cash. I don't know. All these writers have cool names. Why they doesn't do. he have like something crazy cool? You know, he's just like, yeah, Andrew Watt, Andrew Watt, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, no, like having guys, having guys be specific, like like him specifying in. I mean, it's pop guitar. That's yeah. like that's like what he does is pop guitar music. He is a yeah. he's but he doesn't always just play. Like I'm sure he writes parts for other people and the other people end up tracking or he'll you know what I'm saying? Like he's a producer yeah. in his own right in that way too. And I'm sure he works with synths that also like complement the guitar and things like that too. Um which actually gets us into the next one, which is another individual job that we both do, which is post production and effects work. One of my favorite things. That is... So, and if you don't know, if you're not, like, if you're kind of newer to everything, what we're talking about, post-production would be, like, all of the added synths, any added um, production work when it comes to, like, uh, like adding vocal chops. A lot of the time, some of this stuff is done beforehand. Um, 
but sometimes like I did it, I've done two track, three tracks in the last like week that I've added vocal chops and verses just because it was more of a rock song, but it felt like it could have used it like, and it sounded really cool. Um, adding effects and doing effects work also like manipulating different sounds to create risers, impacts, adding cymbal swells, like making uh, synths double guitars, um, making sub basses double double bass guitars, writing like MIDI bass parts that complement the song really well. Like all of that kind of falls into post-production. It's a lot of, and, and by literal definition, it is production that happens after the song has like been mostly completed. Yep. That's pretty much all it is. It's like the uh, little cherry on top, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, yeah, I do a lot of post-production work as well. And I think you summed it up really well. You know, it's all this stuff that isn't the song. You know, I always want to say like guitar, bass, and drums, you know? But mm-hmm. like if we're talking about like pop music, then it's everything that isn't the song. Yeah, like and... I did I did a pop, I did post-production on a pop song last week. And... A lot of it was like adding extra synth that I felt like filled out the space a little bit more, um, manipulating some vocals to sound really cool to add like some extra edge or grit or transitional effects or making the parts just kind of feel a little bit better in general, kind of meld a little bit better, but also adding some ear candy. Like that's a big part of it too, adding like these little um counter melody lines and different little like sparkly scents up top to kind of you know say oh that was really cool keep keep the synth keep the synth interesting um never mind aaron's in the shot so good night love you hi aaron good night aaron <laughs> And back. <laughs> but adding anything that has to do with, like, adding little synths that have to do, adding ear candy, all that kind of stuff, kind of, uh, I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> it just went. Oh, if we have to keep in J.J. Watt, you got to keep in this brain fart. Oh, I having. know. I know, man. Um... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was talking about. Post-production. So yeah, adding, adding all of this extra ear candy, adding counter melodies, adding little sparkly things that, you know, kind of as you're listening that originally it might kind of get a little boring, but because you added this little thing, it kind of keeps the song interesting. I think actually that's probably a huge part of post-production is making sure that the song stays interesting while staying true to what the song is, if that makes yeah, sense. Like, yeah, like not overdoing it mm-hmm. and taking over the song. Yeah, because I've done that before. Actually, I did that this week. I like took a break from this song because I was kind of bummed out. And I went ahead, took a listen, and I was like, ooh, this is bad. And yeah. so I just tore everything down, and I just built it from the ground up. And it's really about not finding things to just like make the song more interesting. It's what's about making the song better, mm-hmm. you know, and more cohesive. And exactly. I like to look at, I like to call post-production sound design simply for the fact that I look at it the same way that 
you would look at scoring a film because it's not about giving background sounds to this already made piece of art. It's about accompanying it and making whatever is already there better. That's a great, that's a really good way to say it. Yeah. Making yeah. what's like already it, there it, better. Enhancing. And if you, exactly. And it, like you could watch any Christopher Nolan movie on its own and you're like, oh, it's an incredible movie. But as soon as you unmute the TV and you hear Hans Zimmer in the background, you're like, wow, this is a new experience, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, God, they're both so good. I they're know, both man. So, so good. And um, yeah, so that, that's how I really look at, you know, post-production, sound design, whatever yeah. you want to call it. It's just yeah. whenever you say sound design, it gets kind of confused with, yeah, with film and video games. Film and know? scoring and video games. But a lot, and I will say, a lot of, sometimes you do kind of cross over into that world a little bit too. Um, I know uh, Chris from Under Oath, their keyboard player, scores a lot of movies and scores all, and video games, but he also does like all a good chunk of the post-production and writing also for their records at least like nowadays yeah and like that's also as i got more into post-production i also got more into the idea of scoring because like that's something i would love to do now because i mm-hmm. realized like if an artist gives me some dead space and we're both on the same space well same wavelength mm-hmm. then it'll be something really really cool it'll be a new experience you know yeah and that and And, that also um, comes with working with either guys that know what they're what the what where to leave space for post-production but also guys that you are used to working with and that's creating a rapport with producers and um engineers that are working on projects that are saying oh well i definitely know this sounds like a song that is going to need josh or andrew's little uh extra 10 percent touch on this um yeah. i've had i mean all the time it's like here i've left you a good bit of room to just kind of play around see what you like add some yeah. stuff get like get i had a i had a a guy that i was working on one of the tracks last week say like yeah get a little bit weird with it like get a little extra weird with it because it's easier for me to dial it back a little bit than it is for me to make it extra weird right and um dude so how about this this is so rare an artist hit me up for the very first time to do post-production for them and Mm -hmm. they left me a 16 bar gap building up to like their big moment oh that's and i was like and i was like like is this real life like there was nothing there and i had a blast with it it was so much fun and like You know, because like whenever I'm writing and when I'm producing, it's very much like, you know, it's not like I write a whole gu- a whole song on guitar. Mm-hmm. I'll write a lot of it on guitar, but then like I'm also going to go in and it's like, well, does the guitar need to be more interesting? Does the production need to be more interesting? And I always look at it as like give and take, you know, and sure. that, that's how I do it for everything, including how I write like top lines. It's give and take, you know between the track and the vocal or the production and the track mm-hmm. and the vocal. Um, and uh, yeah. So whenever they did that, 
best time of my life oh, because I'm I finally sure. got to sit down and just like do my thing. Cause you know, when I'm producing a track, it's different cause I'm able to give that input beforehand. I'm like, Hey, maybe we shouldn't do that because I have a really cool idea and mm-hmm. you need to hear it, you know? And to nine out of 10 times the band is like, yeah, that's really cool. You know? Um, but like whenever you're just sent a whole track, you can't do that. You could suggest it, but in their mind, they already heard the song. It's already done. Yeah. You know? So you're less likely to get that approval on it because if they sent you a wave file, you can't just pull the guitars out. Yeah, exactly. So the, and this come, this, this next point that we're going to talk about, this comes back to every single one of these as an individual. Uh, like we said, post-production is a job all on its own. Vocal session, like coaching and vocal and vocal producing is a job all its own. Um, instrumental producing um tones and parts and that all i would include beat making in that as well is a job all on its own that's probably the most popular like well-known one as a producer uh and like i said team building is on its own a job but what all of those things have to have in common is being an expert at communication because if you're not an expert at communication, one, you're not going to know what the what the artist or the or the person over the project wants from you. If you aren't an expert in communication, you aren't going to be able to take criticism very well when somebody doesn't like what you add as a post production guy, or you know, or if you're not like the the vocal producer is a very good example of like being able to communicate well. That's everything for you as a vocal producer. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And like, you know, it's something like I'm very I'm very blessed to be like the type of person that kind of knows how to communicate well. You know, I worked in different jobs where that was my job. I would be on the phone all day. Mm-hmm. So I'd be talking to people and I would be closing sales. And so it's like, you know, how can I translate those skills to my business? And, uh, you know, it, it's helped me out a ton because, you know, between that and then like some of the books I've read, like I understand like how people make choices, how people think. Um, I was an artist, so I know what artists are insecure about, what they hate, what they're scared of, mm-hmm. you know? Being able to understand all that and factor it into your language makes a huge difference because, um, you know, not being able to communicate things properly will completely burn you out. And it's something that is learnable. It's 100% learnable. Um, Most definitely. And uh, yeah, so that's huge. And it's something that you really need to learn because, you know, I've had times where I've had to explain to people how my rate works out, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that, the other day someone a, that, was like, that's a someone was like, um, you know, how do I reply to somebody who just asked me to work for free? And I commented on it and I was <laughs> like, well, unfortunately like my rent and car payment aren't. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then Seth ended up putting a comment underneath, like actually putting what he would tell somebody. And I was yeah. like, all right, to be fair, I did tell someone that once and they signed on to the job too. I typically don't do that and I typically don't have to because of how I communicate before I get to my rate. Mm -hmm. I tell people, Hey, look, my time's very limited. 
I only work with select artists that I see myself being a good fit on. We're going to have to book a call to make sure that we're a good fit for like my bigger projects. I don't yeah. do that for like, you know, things with a quick turnaround time. But then whenever I get to the end of it and I'm like, yeah, it's going to be a lot of money, but enough that I'm not going to make minimum wage. The artist yeah. is like, cool, sign me up. And all of these people are like, man, how do you get people from not haggling your rate? And it's like, well, you have to set realistic expectations. Mm -hmm. It's all about the Before they book that call, they already know it's not going to be cheap. Mm -hmm. And they also know that there's a chance I'll say no and I'll turn them down. And then there's also the chance that I'm not going to have time. Oh, yeah. So nine out of ten times, it, are all three of those going to actually happen? No, not at all. You know, typically I could start on things right away. Typically I could turn things around in a few days. Typically my rate isn't even super, super high. But the fact that I set those expectations and I'm communicating that effectively, whenever mm -hmm. I tell them, yeah, you know, it's going to be $1,000. They're like, okay, cool. Yep. You know, and I send them over the contracts and I'm over the invoice. It's all signed, paid for, and I'm good to go. I'm good to exactly. start. And then because I told them my time's extremely limited and I, you know, it might take me a while to get to, and I'll give you a discounted rate because it might take some time. But then whenever I'm able to give it to them in a few days, they're even more happy. Mm -hmm. And so it's just about setting expectations. And a lot of people are like, well, that's dishonest because it's not the truth. But the honest truth is, is I don't know what my life is going to be like, you know? Yeah. Because at the end the of the key, day, like, you know, what, what if something, job. you know, what if something comes up and it does take that long? I'm working on so much stuff right now. You know, it's like. It very well could take me a few weeks, you know, mm -hmm. but I'm going to do But like, if you're that willing to, you know, pay me what I'm asking for, be a genuine human being and also take the time to talk to me for like 45 minutes and have a great conversation. Sure. I'll fit you in and I'll get it done, yeah. you know? And like, that's what it's all about. It's just communication. And that's only one instance. That's just how I get people from not being like, well, you work for minimum wage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I'll be in a session where, you know, I, I have to tell somebody how to, um, how to sing a part, you know? And sure. Sometimes, you know, I'll be joking. I'll be like, do you have a dog? Mm -hmm. And Dan was like, yeah. I was like, all right, pretend your dog just died and I'll sing that again. And then he gave me a great take. Yeah. And he was laughing as soon as it finished up because he thought yeah. it was hilarious. But like there's other times where I have to like really put myself in their shoes and be like, all right, so you don't have enough support. And I'm not a vocalist. Like, I mean, I'm a vocalist, yeah. but I'm not like classically trained, you know, mm -hmm. and I have to explain to them what their body is doing, what they have to change. And then I have to also give them examples. So then now I have to do it too. And yeah. it might not be the best sounding thing in the world, but the goal is to get them on track to give me the best thing possible. And um, yeah, so like communication, like that is more than just, you know, speaking, you know, formally, you yeah. know, it's about speaking people's language because yeah. I'm always comfortable when somebody talks the way that I do. So I have to do the same to other people, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's that's really what it is. But then on top of that, you also have to remember that this includes being 100% transparent and understanding that everybody is always 100% of the time on the same page. Because if you have a pricing discrepancy, if you have a scheduling discrepancy, if you have a turnaround mm -hmm. discrepancy people are going to be angry and rightfully so. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, that's really, that's your fault 
and uh, it's all your fault. To it's not, all your fault. Well, yeah, it's not your fault because you ha- you didn't do your part in fully communicating, fully explaining, and making sure that they understood every single aspect of this. Oh well, I did. You know, it comes up. Oh well, I did. I I thought you were you were mastering, right? Oh, I thought that it price included mastering. Well, I explicitly nope. explained in this section that it does not. So I'm sorry. Yep. Or um, I'm producing a track and they're sending it off to uh, somebody else to mix. And, you know, they didn't pay me for vocal editing or drum editing. Okay, well, I send it off and their mixer is like, none of this is tuned or none of this is, these drums aren't edited at all. And the artist is like, you know, why didn't you, or I send them, you know, I send the artist like a, prep track before i send the stems to the mixer and they're like yeah this just sounds like the drums sound a little off and the vocals are out of tune well yeah they are because none of it's been edited like at all and it's like we per what we talked about you know like i make that clear up front Mm -hmm. hey here's here's what this comes with hey this does not include vocal editing so if you need vocal editing like I can do it. That will be extra. Or I can send you to some guys that, like, that's all they do are vocal edits. Um, and same for drum editing. It's like, if you want me to do drum editing, awesome. Like, here's that extra fee. Or, you know, if you want to go to a guy that specializes in your genre of music's drum editing, like, that's a pretty common thing. Um, you can, I'll send you to some of those guys. And they're great. And they're awesome. And honestly, I would prefer sometimes to send that work to people because I love, you know, spreading the love with the with the family. You know what I'm saying? Oh, don't lie. You just everybody like editing. Eats. Everybody eats. Everybody well, yeah. eats. And nobody edits. <laughs> and nobody likes drum editing. I hate drum editing. I'm going to yeah. have to make that video about my hack for metal drum editing. You should. I was telling Chris about that and he was all about it. So yeah, we'll have to make, we'll have to make, we'll have to make something about that. Um, it's going to be sweet. The go back to, I'm going to read this lift off again, but team building instrumental and creative instrumental writing and tone and part choices, as well as vocal coaching, post-production effects work. None of those, like those are kind of secondary. Your skills to those are honestly assumed. But if you can communicate really well, you are going to get four times as much work as any other producer out there because you communicate honestly, upfront, quickly, or at least in a timely manner. And I will say, I will addendum that to in a timely manner because. You don't want to be up on your phone in the middle of the night responding to a client because they texted you in the middle of the night because they had a thought. Timely manner. Timely manner, we say. Timely manner. Uh, Timely. Yeah, timely. Um, But if you can communicate in those ways, they're going to work with – they're going to come back to you every single time because you are clear. You were concise. They knew exactly what you were getting. They knew after having that first conversation with you – Exactly. If they paid you, they knew exactly what they were going to get. Yep. And if they receive, and this is another conversation to have um, when we get to book stuff, but 
like if they have if you set that expectation and then you immediately go above that expectation and you exceed that expectation they're going to feel like they got a deal and you're going to have a super happy client that's going to return every single time and tell they're all their friends yep and then on top of that whenever you have recurring clients you're now making friends yeah man a lot of the people i work with are simply friends who happen to pay me to produce their music and write mm-hmm. for them you know and what that also does if especially if you're like writing you get to know these people so well you mm-hmm. know like dan i've been writing with him for over a year now and we'll text each other just out of nowhere because it's a blast and like I feel like Dan's my little brother. It's incredible. My second little mm-hmm. brother. I don't want Jacob to feel sad. I'm wearing his <laughs> clothes right now. Paradisehills.shop. And uh, so, so uh, yeah, me and yeah, me and Dan, like, we're friends. You know, he just happens to pay me to write and produce for him. And it makes it a lot easier because now we're able to have these hard conversations. Whenever he wants to write a song about something super, super deep, He's able to open up to me and I'm here to listen and I get it, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm not afraid to ask the hard questions to him either, you know, because, you know, nobody wants to talk about like, you know, something super, super tragic, right? I'm not going to bum you guys out. So we'll just say a tragedy. Nobody wants to talk about it. But for you to not only have to listen, but then also have to ask even deeper questions into that tragedy to fully understand it if so if you walked up to a random stranger on the street and you're like hey did your father pass away and they're like yeah and like what did that feel like they would run yeah you know and that's cruel that's a cruel thing to ask somebody but you that's know? what we ask people a lot of the but time that's, as vocal that's producers what we ask especially people. yeah that's what that's like what vocal producers do honestly vocal producers just go get that degree in psychology yeah, and you'll be straight. Like, because it's borderline there. And I've honestly thought about like taking like psych classes just to kind of understand like how people work for sure a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like you do have to ask these super hard questions and it's something, I mean, do I like doing it? Sure. Because it gives me a new perspective on life. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I wouldn't walk up to a stranger and say that. Yeah. I would never well, do that. Well, and back to the psychology kind of thing is the communication part is essentially psychology at its most like, or maybe sociology or a combination of the two. And it's like basic form, being yeah. able to understand how people tick, how people tick in groups and how people like as a band. So if you're, you know, talking to a band, how people interact inside that how function inside that group, but also how people function as individuals, especially if you're talking to other producers or other songwriters or anything like that. Like, a, it's a little bit of marketing, but then again, like a lot of marketing is also just kind of psychology, uh, which well, yeah, is and something because we'll a lot of. Too. Yeah, we're we're gonna have to do a couple episodes on marketing because yeah, a lot of people think marketing is very like you know used car salesman kind of like a yeah. pitch, you know. But uh, you know, for for like up and coming brands or like people who are marketing, mm-hmm. it's very much just understanding how people work, using that to your favor, 
and following through. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. all it is. So, and and that, that's how it is with anything. And it's kind of sure. weird because when once you start thinking about this, you start wondering, like, am I a serial killer? And, um, <laughs> you know, because you really do have to understand how people think and how people make choices. And so I, you will use that to your advantage to get a yes, mm-hmm. you know, whenever it comes to, like, an idea. Because there's some bands who don't want any outside input, but you know this song is going to bomb, right? But you have yeah. this really cool idea. So you pitch it in a certain way that they're like, okay, give it a try. And then you give them reasons why it's better and reasons why their audience will think it better. And then all of a sudden they like it. their song is so much better and they approve yep. it. And now their song does better because of it. And like exactly. thinking that way is so calculated and like almost strange for most mm-hmm. people. Um, well, it's, it's not the way you generally people don't think that analytically. Exactly. You know, like for our, uh, is it sociopaths or psychopaths? Yeah, so, so, think so, that way? Socio- sociopath is the one that can think of other. They're they're at least like kind of an empath still. Okay. A well, psychopath anyway. is like serial killers. <laughs> okay, so for our sociopaths out there who are listening to this, you get it. You're already almost there. All you have to do is fake it, like you care. <laughs> yeah. And you will kill it. Like nah, you if, they're will true, s- if, if they're a true sociopath, they can already do that. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, if you're a sociopath, <laughs> you're already 10 steps ahead of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't listen to this <laughs> And uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is like social skills. And it's and it's awful, you know, for people who struggle with that. And But like at the end of the day, it, it is learnable. And if you have to mm-hmm. break it down into a more calculated form of thinking, then go for it it's all about whatever works you know so if you're the type of person where you know you're very much introverted you hate having these conversations but you're really really good at producing vocals then work on yourself see how Mm -hmm. you could push past that um you know if it's enough of an issue go check out a therapist i'm sure that they would help you oh yeah you know for sure and like you know there's nothing wrong with getting help to help other people you Mm -hmm. know and, you know, I, I hate saying like, oh, yeah, it's learnable because there's a lot of people out there who where it isn't. But if it isn't, then that also means that you could get professional help to make it a lot easier. Exactly. You know, exactly. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's the kind of tail end of the producer side of things. So I will say none of the things that we have said have included vocal editing have included drum editing have included any kind of mix prep have included mixing or mastering in any sense everything we've talked about so far is a really good definition of producing yeah they're they're not yeah the this is kind of what in my mind this is what producing is and i think you will probably agree with that. This is a full, I agree. fully fleshed out explan- 45 minute explanation of what, yeah. of what producing is. Um, the only other thing I could think of is that being a producer means that you're also anything else in certain cases. Yeah, exactly. You know, like and, and there's that- times where like where I'm do when I'm doing remote production, that also means that like I'm the one tracking and editing guitars, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and so that and that's where you get into start like blurring lines there. You know what I'm saying? That's where Yeah, and 
that that's the issue with like the term producer nowadays it's very much blurred because like when i produce a track it simply just means i'm not writing yeah exactly so it's like and like lines get blurred in the sense of like okay well a lot of the times the producer might also be the mix engineer or the producer might also be the guitar editor drum editor bass editor vocal editor or Mm -hmm. the the producer might be doing everything we've talked about today and also doing the tracking aspect of it. Like they might yeah. also be the tracking. There's engineer. a lot of um there's a lot of producers in the rock and metal world where you go to them, you work the songs out, and then he, that he or she will record them, they will edit them, they will mix them, and they will master them. They'll do everything, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, that's super common simply because, like, budgets are tight, you know? Yeah. And whenever you've been doing it for 10 years, you're so quick. Like, what's it matter? Exactly. Or or they could outsource the editing to somebody else and go work and, you know, get the record done even quicker, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, So now let's get into kind of, like mixing specifics. Like, what do we consider? Because we've talked about now in pretty pretty lengthy about the the specifics on what a producer is let's talk about a mix engineer or a mixer what is i think that this is actually going to be pretty easy yeah and i'm pretty excited for that so my definition of mixing is dynamic and what eq changes Mm -hmm. so it's somebody who processes all of the tracks to enhance them to sound like a song. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to. That's a good. That's I mean, a good it's tra- not. Yeah, it's not the worst explanation no, in the world. No. It, it's always kind of hard to explain what mixing is because we do it so much. You know. Yeah. No. It's like, that's oh, true. Well, you know, I run three compressors on my vocal chain. That's mixing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know. Uh, yeah. So it's very much you know. Um, Mixing, to me, is working with everything and getting everything to sound like a finished product. What mixing isn't, to me, is using effects or changing around tracks Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And so a lot of people don't understand that when you send something out for mixing, if you have a guitar that is completely dry and you label it ambient guitar it's not the mixer's responsibility to toss reverb and delay on it because that's not his place if he feels like he needs to do it for the mix he might do it but um you know for the most part drastic effects are not something that a mixer does yeah using reverb and delay sometimes creatively is, yeah. yeah sure or, or like yeah. to make Mixers things sit that. in a certain place and like exactly. also like certain panning automations like if it's a specific thing like that's not a mixer's job really that's a producer that's a production choice yeah to have also, thing go pan from left to right at this time because it needs to land on this note when it's at the far right like that's a production choice exactly and so i think that you know, for instance, if you send, if the producer sends a track to the mix engineer, they need to have a conversation because mm-hmm. once again, communication is everything. Mm-hmm. 
And so the producer might say, hey, yeah, you know, like the room mics aren't that loud in, in like the session that I sent you. The band wants a more roomy sound. So then he's going to bump up the room mics, might add some verb, you know, like yeah. things like that. Like you can mix creatively. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely mix creatively. Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's just whether or not the mix engineer is hired to do so. If you're working with somebody like, um, who's the guy that does bring me in five seconds of summer and Dan Lancaster, Dan Lancaster. If you're working with someone like Dan Lancaster, I can guarantee you that he only works with the more technical side of mixing. If you were sending a session to him, that producer should have it so well done that it should even probably be a little pre-mixed, you know, where you could listen to the session and be like, yeah, like, this is listenable and it's probably better than most of our demos. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, like, like that's, that's the reality. Whenever you're yeah. going, whenever you're flying to Greece and working in probably the best studio in the world, like <laughs> you're going to leave there with a record that already sounds really good. Then you send it to a mix engineer who probably charges an absurd amount of money per song to make it that extra 10%. But that 10% is something nobody else could have ever have given yeah. them, you know? And ha- so, on the s- other hand of things, you do have s- times where bands will send DI guitars and MIDI drums and MIDI bass to a mix engineer, and then they're the ones who choose the guitar tones and stuff like that. But generally, me, that's a predetermined conversation. That's generally a predetermined conversation, though. But it's always a predetermined conversation. Yeah. If if someone hired me to mix stuff, and you know, like whenever metal bands hire me to mix stuff, I always assume their guitar tones are going to be awful, so I tell them send me DIs. Because mm-hmm. I literally spent two days last year making a ton of presets that I know I love so I could flick through tones and pick my favorite one. Yep. It makes hey. mixing a lot easier. Yo, but if an indie faster. rock band sent me DIs, I'd be like, what did you just do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? What, what do you want these to sound like? And they'd be like, you know, like uh, like Kurt Cobain but with chorus and i'm gonna be like no dude you do that on your own you know yeah and uh yeah so mixing um and and that's pretty much how mixing is everywhere like the song needs to be done the creative choices need to be done the mix engineer's job is to make it sound good yep um you know besides uh, maybe like rock and metal is where they do the whole like replacement yeah mixing for for sure i found the uh well so we trust it's only so much, but the Wikipedia definition of mixing engineer. So I can read you the top little bit of that. And it actually does a pretty good job of kind of explaining. A mixing engineer, or simply mix engineer, is responsible for combining or mixing different sonic elements of an auditory piece into a complete rendition, whether in music, film, or any other content of auditory nature. The finished piece, recorded or live, must achieve a good balance of properties such as volume, pan, positioning, and other effects while resolving any arising frequency conflicts from various sound sources. These sources can comprise of different musical instruments or vocals in a band, orchestra, dialogue, or or foley in a film, and more. And... You didn't even need to listen to this podcast. You could have just went on Wikipedia. Yeah, well... That's what we're here for, to know what to Google, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> Welcome to the Google podcast. Exactly, exactly. How to Google. But, but I, the that's a, a one of those things, while resolving any arising frequency conflicts from various sound sources, that's just like a really good way of saying, hey, EQ stuff. Like, <laughs> like that's a or, good... Or dynamic stuff. Or dynamic, if you're yeah. you're side-chaining something, you know, yeah. like... You want it yeah. to have that desired effect. Yeah, it needs to sit in a certain place in the song. Like, that guitar needs to feel, or that vocal needs to feel behind me. The guitar needs to feel like it's punching me in the face. Like, you know, those kind of things that you can't necessarily track into a mix. That's exactly. something that has to be and massaged so, out of a mix. Right. Like, if you want... If you want like a super dusty vocal sound, right? Think of like Billie Eilish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very dry. If you sat very dry, not a ton of top end. Very up close, know? like in your face, like she's like right in front of you. Or like she's right in your ear. Like yeah. you know Phineas did not send those tracks to whoever mixed it. I forget the guy's name. He did an incredible job. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't just like yeah, it's a pop song. Yeah. Because communication is key. And he said, hey, I already have these basically mixed, so just make them sit right. Yep. And to me, a good producer is able to send your tracks out for mixing with all of the creative choices and the general idea of what the band wants or artist already printed. Mm-hmm. That is what a good producer is to me. Yep. And that really smacked me in the face because um, I got nailed a mix simply to get the doomed session by Bring Me the Horizon. And I remember going through that and I was like, oh my goodness, these guitars sound pre-mixed. These vocals are almost done, you know, and I'm going through and I realized, wow, like this is what a producer actually does. But then you know? also you you watch. So if you don't know what Nail the Mix is, Nail the Mix is cool. Nail the Mix is run by the homies, and it is a a monthly um, mixing tutorial kind of thing. So where you essentially get the stems from a song every single month, a new song. You can download the stems from songs like Bring Me the Horizon, like what he said, Doomed. Like I love that was one of my top tier top top tier um sessions that i watched and another one that i really enjoyed was um prayer position by periphery they're generally rock and metal uh type music so Dude, you- they have um not to interrupt but like they have this st- that one the story so far session on there dude yes that was eye-opening to how bad i was at engineering drums and, and it made me get better angels and airwaves too is also like oh yeah that one's on there top tier so they you can download these individual stems, hear what the raw, they're the raw files. They're not like premixed by the mix engineer. They are what the mix engineer got. And they are raw files so you can hear what they sound like. And honestly, just being able to do that is worth the price. Because then you're going to understand, oh, so everything up to here is what the recording and, well, the recording engineer and the producer did. This is what it takes and then sound, you listen to, to the final good. product and you're like, wow, so that's what the mix engineer does. Exactly. And then you can 
what they also do is they film a walkthrough of the mixing process of that song with the mix engineer. Yep. So, for instance, with Doomed by Bring Me the Horizon, Dan Lancaster did a nine-hour mixing session, and I love watching. I'm probably going to go watch that like this week or something. Because I think I'm going to watch that too because I never watched it. I love going back and watching when you watch what he does to just make that track sit so well. Yeah. It kind of blows your mind at the simplicity. There's also some really interesting yeah. like sample choices and usage there because it's oh, very yeah. oh, it's very I subtle. I did see some sessions from him. I I saw like the YouTube clips of that. Yeah, it's very And he's subtle. really crazy because he's the kind of guy who will pull up like Waves audio track mm-hmm. and he's like this is such a lovely sounding plugin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He he You know he, what audio track is? That's like yeah. the most transparent sounding thing in the world and he's like this is lovely. Like he is probably the most like bare bones like eq compressor like Mm -hmm. this is i'm good you know like he's that kind of mixer nolly is like that too exactly Where they're all about just having tools that they're comfortable with using Mm -hmm. and they're easy to use and like yeah like he he is 100 percent the real deal dan uses Um, the majority and this is like for all of you like newer people Learn your stock plugins. Dan uses majority either Audio Track, which is a really basic $20, $20 or $15 Waves plugin. But I might go re download that. It's amazing. I actually use I, it. I don't have it right too. now. It's, it's, an all, it's an all in one EQ compression DS or plugin. But also, he uses stock Pro Tools EQ. Like, mm-hmm. majority of the time, he uses stock Pro, Q, Pro Tools EQ7 and EQ1 across that entire session. Yep. I loved. And, like, I don't know if this is just, like, me being more familiar with the Pro Tools plugins. Because, like, when I switched to Cubase, it's, like, a lot of their stock plugins didn't work mm-hmm. quite as well as the Pro Tools stuff did. Because I know it so well. Yeah. Um. So, naturally, I resorted back to, like, the third-party plugins that I'm familiar with. But there's just something about Pro Tools stock plugins. Mm-hmm. And I do miss them. Because, I mean, I was so quick with them. I was so familiar. Yeah. You know, I remember I got um I got a new like um SSL style EQ and I, mm-hmm. I still boot up the Waves one. Even though the Waves one does sound worse, I still use it cuz I'm quicker, you know. Yeah. You know you know the how to make it sound the, the way same. you want. <laughs> you know, you know, you, know you, you know how to make it sound the way you want it to faster. The, exactly. The 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 big part of the big takeaway in this is being able to take a song that already sounds great but make it sound great and this is something i think you said on the in the beginning um make it sound great everywhere because here's the thing you might listen to a song on your nice speaker system and be like oh yeah this sounds great and then you listen into your car and you can't hear you can hear maybe just the drums and that's about it because everything's so loud and it's compressing super weird and like the frequencies aren't allowing the vocal to come through and the guitars just sound real strange and the cymbals are way too loud and the room is way too loud and like you can't hear that really cool lead line that you wrote like because it's getting covered up by everything else and then you listen to maybe like your headphones or your airpod and everything's just way too brittle and harsh you know what i mean 
like or your low end's just non-existent or way too much and it's making the whole track sound like it's underwater yep like being able to make the song sound amazing and work cohesively across all what how many ever tracks that you have is awesome but also making it work cohesively and sound awesome in every single listening environment is in my opinion like the quintessential you kind of getting into mastering engineer space a little bit too there um well i mean the terms yeah yeah but it's still not the same process and we'll have no. a separate episode for that because yeah to me i think like a good mix engineer whenever the mastering engineer gets it they should be like oh it just needs to be louder yeah this needs to be louder and like the top end could be a little different or like for color like they just know what color they're going for like i'm gonna run it through this piece of gear because it has a this like darker color or more hi-fi like very poppy sounding color or you know you know what i mean like different different flavors and we're actually Um, gonna have a mastering engineer on here to talk about that yes neither of us are proper mastering guys definitely not a mastering engineer by i'm any means i'm not i to be honest with you the chain that has got me the most success is one that i took from one of my favorite producers and then i modified it as the years go on and it's just like i'm good enough to get by but every single person that hires me to mix i'm like we should probably outsource the mastering (laughs) yeah oh i always outsource to mastering to yeah once again everybody eats (laughs) we we always like i don't like to be greedy and i like I like to uh, spread the love, as they say. If I'm gonna spread get a project, if, if I'm gonna get a project, I mean, you know, I've I sent you some work too, like recently, like you know, mm-hmm. if I'm working on a project and I'm like, ah, this it's gonna lack in this area, gonna send it to somebody that I know that's really good that kills because I think it's they all about good. making good art. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. See, for me, it's more like. Um, you know, I, at the end of the day, it's not even like I would do these things if they were paying me. It's mm-hmm. just simply, I like mixing whenever it's my own stuff and it's for fun. Yeah. I don't like mixing when someone's paying me a lot of money to do it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I could see that. Because I'll I'll listen to it and then I'll listen to someone else's and I'm like, why didn't they just go to him? He was a few mm-hmm. hundred dollars more. You know, and, you know, so for me, it's not about, you know, even just like, oh, you know, these people are better. It's just the fact that I flat out don't want to do it because I hate the anxiety of it. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could totally understand that. For me, it's I know and for me, it really depends. So it's like I know for a fact that when it comes to certain like a lot of the hip hop stuff I work on. I kind of mix that stuff as I go. Um, the way I produce a lot of that stuff, it mostly gets mixed as I'm working. I'm kind of mixing as I'm making the track because I need, I want it to sit a certain way. So by the time we're fully done with the song, I maybe spend 15 or 20 minutes on the actual mixing process. Like I, I'll listen to the song once fully literally write down like notes for myself like mix notes for myself like i'm communicating to a mix engineer and then 
go like go through make kind of knock off the little tweaks that I hear that need to happen and then I'll listen through it a second time make some on the fly changes listen to it a third time I'm generally pretty much done but when it comes to rock stuff stuff that's a little more intricate a little more complicated I mean I do it I definitely you know I, I get hired all the time to mix just because I think I'm pretty solid at it I am not definitely not top tier by any means my production work I think is is top tier and I will stand by that same forever. here same yeah. here hundred percent like if like as a writer and as like a producer I know for a fact that if an artist came to me and was like hey like I want to book up a bunch of time and you're gonna write me a record and like we're gonna make it great like I know it could stand up to like my favorite artists yeah but for like sure. my mix. Yeah, we're we're hiring no. that out for sure. Yeah, we're, we're hiring. We're gonna that. hire that out. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. No, yeah. and yeah, and I totally get that. Like, I think, you know, I've had to mix my own band stuff. It's definitely not my favorite stuff that I've yeah. put out. It's definitely not. I mean, I think it's pretty good, but I don't think it's my favorite. I didn't stuff know that, that you mixed done. your own band stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep, I mixed. So you're um, actually like really good at this. The most way better than the me. most recent two harm singles, I I did both of those. Dang, dude, I'm gonna have to listen to them. Yeah, they're okay. <laughs> I like them. I mean, I think they're good. That's the thing is, it's like it comes to a point of like I am fully confident in my and like you, I feel fully confident in my arranging and sound design and production skills. Yeah. I, well, you I'm, know what's also funny is I'm actually very confident in my mixing skills if it's, like, borderline deathcore. Like, it has to be super, super heavy, and I know I'll yes. be able to knock the mix out of the park. And I and think I that's the thing. I know that I can mix alt-rock. Those are the two things. It either has to be super, super heavy. However, I hate just flat-out deathcore, so it has to be borderline deathcore. Yeah. And it has to be alt-rock or like even like 80s vibes where mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of saturation. It sounds yeah. like it was run through a tape machine and run over by a car. Like yeah. That is my bright... Like, I'll, <laughs> sure, I'll mix that. I will mix that all day, every day until I die. For sure, for sure. It's and everything else that isn't that. Yeah, for me, it's more so like I can definitely... I feel confident in my like hip-hop and like trappy pop mixes like the stuff that kind of stuff that i do but like i feel less confident in more of my rock mixes which is fine because like i don't necessarily want to be the guy that's known for rock mixes i do want to get better because i want to know how to make that train i want to either get better for the people that want to hire me for that stuff i'm always trying to get better for that or number two be able to get better to make my stuff translate better for other people who are mixing. Yeah, that's stuff. what I was going to say. I I don't work on all my stuff so my mixes get better. I get better so my mixing engineer gets it. Mhm. You know, cuz like if I could just get it 80% there and then someone just gets it the other 20%, great. Yep. Now we're both so happy because this mix engineer is like I just spent 20 minutes on a song. And, you know, I'm happy because I didn't have to try to explain my whole life story for a mix engineer to understand what we want, you know? Yeah. And so that's really, that's really the whole thing for me. And, um, you know, I've got it to the point where my super heavy tracks and like my 
80s inspired and alt rock tracks it's like sure like i'd be happy to release them just send them to a mastering engineer you know for sure um but yeah no i totally get that where you know i'm always working on my mix template and my mixing skills simply to make everybody else's life easier because i just want things to translate better exactly and i think i'm actually let's that's a great place this is a great point to end on keep working on your skills so if you are a producer or a mixer in the roles that we've defined like it's fine to be both we are both in some cases we're both we're not both in some other cases like definitions are just they kind of don't matter um they're just easier way either easier ways for you to wrap your mind around what you're trying to do and it's easier ways so that you can explain to a client who understands even less about what you're trying to do, like explaining it to a way that they can come to an understanding so that when you say, oh, I'm a thousand dollars, well, that's a lot of money. Okay. Well, you know, buy, no, like I, you can say, okay, well in this process, it is involved with, hiring out people if that's your choice or i'm gonna have to do all the tracking the songwriting with you all of the editing um and the mixing and then we're gonna have to be we're gonna have to send it out to a mastering mastering engineer who's you know hundred dollars or fifty dollars per song um so that's where all the but so it's easier for you to understand like where to reach out to people where you specialize so that when you reach out to other people, they know where you specialize. That's a huge thing. That was a huge thing for me, too. Being able to say, hey, uh, producer ABCD, like, I know you do your own stuff, and that's awesome. I know you do your own mixes. That's great. But you ever, if you ever need a guy to just do post-production, you know, if you ever need a guy to just do editing, sometimes being the guy that does one of those jobs can be a way for you to double down and really start turning it into a regular job and not just a side hobby. Absolutely. So keep um, practicing everything. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I see that all the time, you know, and like, you know, we all have our strengths that we practice and we get really, really good at. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you're able to improve on other areas, then you're able to help the people who are even better because now they're being sent higher quality stuff mm-hmm. or you're able to communicate what you actually want even better. And that's insanely important. And also so. and also understand what's being communicated to you. Yeah, that's good. So it's all it's a communication both ways being able to communicate to somebody what you're looking for, but also when somebody's trying to communicate something and you can fully understand it without having to be, you know, walked through a really long drawn out process. Yep. So keep getting better. Always push yourself and see, find some places that you feel like you're weak. And, you know, I'm probably going to go work on some mixing this week. Try and get better. I think I might do that too. I made one good mix in like the past three months that I like <laughs> really think stack up to like my idols. Just one. 
mm-hmm. for like my idols. But they also have like a good fifteen years on me. So yeah, exactly, it's okay. It's okay. I'll get there one day. But it comes just in not today. Well, yeah. <laughs> sounds like we're all gonna go practice. But thanks for listening. Thanks for coming and hanging out. Hope you kind of learn some stuff this is more of like a general information kind of episode and you know if you're new to the whole like bedroom producer music world like some of this stuff is probably pretty new to you so we're just trying to make sure that it's explained well so that when someone asks you oh are you a producer you can fully answer them correctly or hey do you mix yes or no like you you now have a better understanding of what that is so that so that this is something we talked about throughout this whole episode so that we can communicate better to give people better art exactly and that's what it's all about so thanks for coming thanks for hanging out josh peace peace And that's it for this episode of the Home Studio Hangout Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Go check us out on Instagram at Home Studio Hangout. Give us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. And don't forget, keep on creating. See you next week.